listening to Chill Spot Radio. Mental health, especially amongst people of color, has long been stigmatized, inadvertently keeping our people from accessing and reaching mental well-being. This podcast aims to transform stigma into strength. Your hosts work in the mental health field, bearing in their experience within the mental health profession. We thank you for your time in this brave space. Welcome to the Chill Spot Radio. Uh, this is episode five. Uh, this is my I'm your host, Jerry Morgan, my co-host. This is Dr. Alan Lipscomb. Welcome. And our guest today is uh, one of our colleagues, Jose Baez. Yes. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, decolonizing um, a bunch of aspects uh, here in the United States. Uh, and how that's affected uh, people of color, um, their mental health, um, because we know um, a lot of the ways that uh, things were introduced to us were um, were Western, um, were prescribed by you know Western socialization um, and civilization, and so um, that doesn't always work for people of color. But we've had to uh, adhere to it, given that we've never been. Um, you know, those in power here in the United States. So we want to look at how that, you know, has affected our mental health, because I don't think we look at that often. Um, so I, I'll let you introduce yourself, Jose. Sorry about that long intro before letting you <laughs> introduce yourself. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you for having me here. Um, first of all, I just want to acknowledge and appreciate the work that you all are doing. Um, it's a really, really cool space, and it's, it's really well needed. And um, like I said, it's just an honor to be, be in a space with you all. So thank you for the invitation. Um, my name is Jose Paez. Um, my gender pronouns are he, him, his. I am a teacher in the social work department at, at CSUN uh, with you all. And I've uh, been there, this is my 12th year, and I'm actually transitioning into a uh, assistant professor position. I was a full-time lecturer for the last 11, and uh, just recently um, defended my dissertation um, and earned my EDD. Uh, which will, I guess, will be official in, in, a, in a few weeks. So uh, not quite, you can put a doctor, but it has to be in like a, a, at, the, at the asterisk next Asterisk. <laughs> uh, but it's been getting close. And I'm really, really excited and, and super lucky to be in this department. And so, um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. And I, I, I'm, you know, do, I teach um, policy classes, the mental health classes we have here in our department. And I'm pretty involved in the community and, and various different projects. And um yeah, excited to have this conversation with you all today. Thank you, thank you. Um, you know, you're you're kind of the master on uh, decolonizing <laughs> things in, in your dissertation. Originally, we were gonna talk about uh, some other healing methods, but then uh, I sat in on your dissertation and it blew my mind. I actually had a my class that day was wasn't all that good. I didn't feel like because I was oh. I was trying to even wrap my mind around like. How do, how do I decolonize teaching? Um, <laughs> but I shared that with my class actually before we got into it. So, you know, it wasn't, which I think is really important um, yeah. so that we all explore it. But what I mean to say is just like, it wasn't, the class didn't flow like it usually does because I was, you know, I was catching myself being like, well, you know what, maybe, maybe this isn't the way that we, we should do it. You know, maybe this isn't as beneficial for everybody in this class and we should look at this or that. Um, when explaining our uh, problem on the the social uh, social problem project, I know you've taught five twenty one before, but right. Um, so, can you talk about you know colonialism and decolonizing? Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
I mean, thank you for referring to me as, as the expert on this. I, I um, appreciate that, and it means a lot to me. And thank you for attending, um, you know, both of you, you know, for attending uh, the defense um, and, and all the support that you, you've given me over, over these years. Um, so I guess I, I would not, first of all, I guess I wouldn't consider myself an expert in, on, on, this, on this topic. And I'm, I'm well-read on it, and I'm learning, you know, um, uh, more and more but what i would say is that there's a lot of people that have been that have been before me who have been working on this thinking about this and um i think i've had part of a lived experience that's helped inform me about what colonialism is and how it's impacted my family the ways that we've benefited but also the ways that we have been harmed by it um and the way that it structured our, our world and our society and i think that social work is a profession that is um has, has always been aware of colonialism and yet um, has not had the language or the analysis or the will maybe to um, to fully confront and, re and, and reconcile with what it means to live in a settler colonial nation. Um, and so th these are difficult things and they're, they're, they're issues that I think bring up a lot of um, uh, discomfort maybe is a word to, to use for folks because it means that we will have to restructure um, a lot of what we're doing if we if we believe in what what you know settler colonialism is and what the, what that project is so um so just wanted to, to say that too also just to give a little bit of background uh, my my family is, is a multi uh ethnic or racial family my mother's family is from mexico and italy and my father's family he was born in the philippines and he's Native American. Our tribe is the Confederated Tribe of Siletz, um, which is located in the area of Oregon on, on towards the coast. Um, and so we're enrolled members of that, that tribe. So I grew up in a very multi-perspective home. A lot of different traditions and customs were um, presented to me early on. Um, and I also feel like, you know, I was, I was given an education at home and at school that was, it was, um, one was correcting the other. So I went to Catholic school and in the Catholic schools, like, like you know, any schools in California, um, you get taught about how to build missions, you get taught about Thanksgiving, you get taught about all these narratives about the US um, and also about Christianity and, um, and about being male and about being heterosexual and all these things, able-bodied, hearing, what have you. And um, fortunately, you know, when I would, you know, hear some of those stories there, I would come home and my parents would um, correct the narrative and, um, and challenge those narratives and problematize things for, for us. I mean, they didn't use that language. They weren't like, this is the counter narratives. This is a critical race theory <laughs> perspective. Um, but in some way they were bringing that, that viewpoint in, you know, they would challenge the, the narrative around Thanksgiving, challenging the narratives around, um, around the way the missions were, were built right. um, and how those, how those were constructed um, and teaching us to be proud of what it means to be a native person. Um, because for, you know, hundreds of years prior to that, it was either illegal to be native um, or where or you were hunted for being native, um, where policies were designed specifically to exterminate you. Mm -hmm. um, it was illegal for you to do your, to do your ceremony, to pray in your way, um, to hunt, to, you know, any, any, really anything, um, to subscribe to any multiple variations of gender, mm -hmm. um, any other kind of, uh, family structure was outlawed, uh, dancing was outlawed, 
Um, so all, all these things were really important, and I grew up learning those those things too. Uh, even though we grew up in an urban setting, and I didn't grow up in a, like a traditional, you know, way with with the the, the, the customs of Celeste people, um, you know, because again that was that was a race and that was taken. So, so I guess you know just just to give you some context, a little bit about how I I come to this this work and how I come to, to think about this. Um, and the other thing is just to recognize that. Um, that the, that the work that I'm doing now, it takes place on, and just to acknowledge the lands of um, the Tatavian people here in San Fernando Valley, in the San Fernando area. Um, and their, their territories, their traditional territories really stretch all the way up through Santa Clarita, um, even um, uh, you know, further in the San Fernando Valley. And then to the south is the Tongva territory, and then to the west, the Chumash territory. Um, and it's, and, and those, are, those are names that are, um, are, are really, you know, um, not not meant to encompass all you know Tatavian people. There are smaller tribes and nations within those Tatavian and Tatangva, uh, but it's important to acknowledge that too. Um, and and not just and not just saying to acknowledge it just for the sake of acknowledging it, but to to actually decenter the narrative that says that the lands that were actually on here were mm -hmm. ceded peacefully, or that we're part of like like an all immigrant story. You know, like we're all immigrants. We all came here, and um, that's that's not true. Right. Um, you know, some people came here as settlers, and that's what they refer to themselves as. And uh, they came here with the mission that their viewpoint was that this land that they had, quote unquote, discovered um, was gifted to them by God. And it was actually a, by a Christian God and that there was um, um, what they called a manifest destiny, that they had a, a, uh, a right to claim this land, that they were doing God's work by claiming this land. And um, that you know, included, you know, the wiping out and uh, the seizure of all the land, the dispossession of all the land from indigenous people, but it also included, you know, the extermination, um, the attempts to exterminate all indigenous people. Um, that's a really big part of, of uh, settler colonialism. <clears throat> and I should say too, there's lots of different types of colonialism, but th this is one form of, of, settler, uh, of colonialism called settler colonialism. Um, the other component about settler colonialism so the first part, the, one of the key parts about it is about land and turning land into property. Uh, prior to settlers coming here, uh, they viewed the land as um, just land. <laughs> and, and we have a connection to land and that the land provides and then we take care of the land and we live in harmony with the land. Um, when settlers came here, they made it into something called property. And when you make land into property, um, that disrupts and fragments the relationship you have with earth and, right. and the land. And so now you have the viewpoint that you can own it and you can dominate it and you can take control. Uh, it, it just reminds me of um, even, you know, thinking about like you know, descendants or, or, you know, just African-Americans or Africans before they were brought over here, just the way that they looked at land too is very differently. And so we're in the structure here where we've been um, redlined uh, by the banks and, and purchasing property. And it's like this concept that was really easy to block us out of because, you know, that wasn't necessarily our relationship with it, even though historically, I guess here we, we understood it through slavery because it was very much a, a property thing. But uh, even property has a negative connotation to, to black people possibly because we at one point were quote unquote property. Though that's yeah, a great segue, definitely. That that that's a, such an important point that you're bringing up because um, for settler colonialism to work also includes chattel slavery, and um, 
And and what, what that means is that it, it and, and specifically in our in our context here in, in the U.S., it was the enslavement of um, African people mm -hmm. um, to to this to this to these lands here. And but but the but the point that you're bringing up is really important about property because um, slavery. And I'm gonna I want to just give a, um, a quick quote here. Um, talking about that specifically from an article from um, Eve Tuck and Ken, Ken Wing Yang, um, who wrote this article called Decolonization is Not a Metaphor. Um, and it's, it's a really, really important article. It's a seminal article um, in, within the field of um, settler colonialism um, and provides some really important, I think, definitions, but also shows like that decolonization isn't just a um, a bumper sticker or something like like equivalent to a social justice movement or um, just simply about raising critical consciousness. Uh, but, but let me so let me go back because one of the things that they point out with regards to settler colonial context um, is that they say that um, chattels or you know slaves they, they become commodities of labor and therefore it is the slaves person that becomes the excess. In other words um, uh, the slave is a desirable commodity, and I'm quoting here, the slave is a desirable commodity, but the person underneath is imprisonable, punishable, and murderable. murderable. And so the violence of keeping and killing the child slave makes them like, you know, um, uh, makes them death-like monsters in the settler imagination. Um, and so they are reconfigured and disfigured as a threat or the razor's edge of safety and terror, end quote. Um, and I, I wanted to just share that quote because it really gets to the, the violence of of, of enslavement and what settler colonialism does, um, and, and, is a, and what, it, what it's rested upon. And so, when people are tearing down statues right now, or upset about police violence, um, it's, it's always important to recognize and remember that this—that's what they're talking about. It, right. The the the, um, the the violence of settler colonialism is um, was horrific. Um, that, like I mentioned in my defense, there is no nonviolent way to do settler colonialism. It only occurs with um, massive amounts of uh, violence. Um, and it's violence to the land, it's violence to the peoples that are living those lands and that are working those lands. And um, yeah, and so, and, and then one other component I want to mention here about settler colonialism is that it, it also is the institution of gender binaries um, or gender binary in a patriarchal system. So that um, all normal people, or all you know, are all real humans. And I'm putting it in quotes: um, are white, are cisgender, um, are heterosexual, are able-bodied, are what we consider sane, um, are people who own land or own property, um, and, and down the road. Um, and then we we also created like a citizenship component too, um, so that. You know um, that that also distinguishes people from you know, who is who has rights to to access all the goods of the society and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we so we have all this. But but going back to the the gender piece, this is a, a really really important component to understanding how some of the colonialism works because um, we currently you know in, in our in our world we see the, the death and the loss and the displacement of indigenous people, but specifically indigenous women, who um, are missing and murdered probably heard about some of those those horrific instances you know, yeah. you know, and epidemic really is another pandemic of, of, of violence um and, and just the way that it structured our whole our whole system that men are at the center of everything um that heterosexual men are at the center of everything uh that they're always the lead uh of every system we we have and um 
the heterosexual people, cisgender people, and so that means the subjugation of, of women. Uh, women are considered the other. Uh, so mm-hmm. Men, men are considered the the, uh, the standard or the or the you know the, the norm. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. In in I I'll point out some irony and all of that because uh, it, and Dr. Let's come jump in here um, because that that's very true. I feel like in almost all aspects about, you know, cis um, males tend to be like the focal point of, of everything with the exception of this mental health stuff that we're kind of talking about. It's been something that we've kind of rejected and, and then, um, why I was bringing this or this podcast around was because so we could talk about this kind of stuff in a, in, in a different way mm-hmm. um, and, and being more in touch with our emotions because when we see um, all the negative effects of us trying to hold this stuff in and, and, right. and having the different guests and we're starting to see how much there really is and if I never really thought about maybe some of the historical trauma that's been passed down um, from us and being property, um, uh, the Native Americans being, um, you know, essentially watching us decimate their lands um, and, and, and enforcing them to, you know, roll up and down these streets looking at quote unquote property, is it my property or that? And, and, and what does that all mean? Uh, we've stolen from the land um, and we've we've thrown these houses on top of that, and never give consideration to what what that does to their psyche. And um, I'm not sure if that comes up for you at all, Dr. Lipscomb, ever in in your work. Yeah, no, I was I was thinking about that. How's that? That's a good segue because it, it constantly comes up for for me in the work that I do in clinical spaces. And so my question to Jose would be, how does coloniality impact the individual psyche and how then do we promote psychological healing for individuals? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, well, you know, and, and just, to, just to go back to the, the um, and I'm gonna, I want to answer your, the question on coloniality too and offer just a little bit of a definition on, on that as well. But, you know, going back, um, Jared, what you had mentioned about um, men being overlooked, specifically men of color and or black men um, in especially mental health services. Um, that, that, that absolutely, that goes back to that quote about um, the person underneath the, the slave or the commodity is imprisonable and murderable and, pun- that part. and, and punishable. That part. So, um, so yeah, like, so the, the, the services that get constructed, um, you know, they're, they're really not uh, um, engineered to for, for true liberation really they're they're engineered for a reduction of symptom um, but you're still existing in uh, a world that's been dominated by white supremacy and and heteropatriarchy and capitalism and all those kind of things so um, not not to not to diss on motivational interviewing or CBT because they can be useful mm-hmm. um, but if you know we're really trying to talk about like a liberation or a transformation or freedom, uh, these these kind of things, then we really need to think about the the approaches that we're bringing to people. And I think this leads to, uh, this leads to what, what you're talking about, um, Alan, about um, coloniality. So 
the, the scholarship on coloniality and thinking is a little bit different than Southern colonialism. Um, coloniality, of my reading and understanding, is, is the language and the analysis that, that um, is, is global. Uh, comes from uh, scholars in Africa, um, scholars in South America, and Argentina, and Colombia, really globally. But um, just to sum it up, because the, 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 the literature is really robust, but is essentially they're describing the lasting effects of colonization. So you put 500 years of colonization globally, and they go around the world and they extract all these resources and they impoverish, and they de deposit people on all these different places and force them into labor or they, sometimes they just turn those people into the labor um, against their will and they extract all these resources and they enrich themselves. Um, but they also create a center point, um, a center point of knowledge and a center point what they call the enlightenment period. And so in the enlightenment period, we have what becomes like the develops into the scientific method and um, it becomes like true knowledge. Um, prior to that, you know, it was kind of viewed as like uncivil or less than sort of delegitimized knowledge. Um, and so coloniality is a really powerful, I think, analysis to examine critically social work and specifically to your question, um, how, how that has an impact on uh, people of color, um, on, you know, on, on our, our ways of internal, internalizing or, or making sense of the world, or meaning, or meaning making, or making meaning of the world. Um, and, it's, and I think it's very, very confusing. I think what, what the narratives we get confuse us so much uh, and pull us away from so much of where our families came from, which are what our histories are, what our languages are, um, that we grow very confused and trying to assimilate uh, into a, a dominant narrative that doesn't, doesn't necessarily accept you. Um, because you're never gonna, you can't, you, you're never gonna be considered like a full human being, um, no matter what you do. And, you know, I think the examples of Fernando Castillo to, you know, um, to Eric Garner, to George Floyd, to, or, or uh, uh, Tony McDade or anyone is, are all examples of, of that. That, that you could be in, in very, uh, just sitting in your car, um, walking down the street, you know, I mean, whatever it is, and you could die. Um, and I think that's, that's, I think that's also part of uh, the violence of coloniality. Um, so going back to the question about how it impacts us internally, I think it, it uh, coloniality gives us a false narrative of who we're supposed to be. And I feel like what it does is gets us chasing a particular vision um, of how we're supposed to be, and uh, without without ever really trying, we, we're never going to be totally successful in doing that, and we're going to feel very frustrated. Or, um, in some cases, we're going to benefit from certain aspects of, of those narratives. So, um, that, I think this comes into the conversation of how privilege gets formed because we live in the, the supremacy world. So, for instance, we might be targeted in some ways by the color of our skin or by our gender. But uh, we also might be beneficiary to the world of, of hearing people, you know, um, and living in a world that's dedicated to and dominated by hearing people. So all deaf people, are they going to be considered um, lower than or needing to be fixed or can't be fixed? And so they need to be pushed away or hidden away. Um, and that's where we get autism. Um, and so, so, so that, that's also another impact because I think it robs us of our, our full humanity and seeing other people's humanity. Um, because again, we're chasing these dominant narratives or, of supremacy. Um, yeah, so I, I think going towards the part of healing, I think it requires us to think about 
one, naming the systems um, and having honest conversations around what coloniality is um, and how it's impacting us today. This is like coloniality is a state of, of being that we're in. Um, rejecting these narratives that continue to, to tell us that um, we're less than, we're inferior, um, and remembering and naming again all of the people all along the way who have been fighting and pushing these counter narratives and have been trying to embrace and, and resist, um, embrace their, their traditions and resist uh, these dominant narratives. Uh, because there have been people all along the way who've been doing that. Um, and I think, so I think that that's where the healing starts, is, is the naming it, is acknowledging it. I think I heard you in one of the previous uh, podcasts, maybe the first or second episode, talking about um, having a space for people to actually just be acknowledged and be right. heard and be validated. That's super important because, you know, when, you, when, you, when that can't happen, it's, it's hard to feel okay about things, you know. And that's why I really don't think it's that big of an ask <laughs> when, when, when indigenous people are like, hey, look, you, you wrote a treaty, we put it, you forced us to, it, right, to, to agree to this treaty, and now you won't honor it. Or yeah. you enslaved us for this many years, and then you've, you've continued to just change the systems and change the language until we have mass incarceration today, you know, people being shot in the street and, and killed. And, um, and what we ask, for, what, what, what black people ask for reparation is to me, not, not a big ask. That, that's, that's like the fundamental thing when you've harmed somebody. It's, 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 really, it's really not difficult. What's difficult is because in this country, um, and I, I, I take a quote here from a, a good friend of mine who referred to the, the U.S. as the land of forgetting. <laughs> we practice forgetfulness, you know, we, we, right. we actively practice that. Yeah. So when don't people are harmed, me, yeah. When people don't even get harm, me started on that. <laughs> oh, go ahead, get started. <laughs> <laughs> This is it. We want to get started. We yeah, yeah, started. yeah, yeah. I just the even yeah the historical context. I mean, people, you, you know, even in this pandemic, people can't even remember, you know, their stance on something six months ago, and they have a complete different one now, as if six months ago didn't even happen. But um, I, the baselines keep shifting. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that okay. I have a question for both of you. That this kind of brought up and um i mean again here you go you hit me so deep i'm like man maybe we should have these conversations before we record because i'm having an emotional <laughs> response <laughs> on the spot but uh i i i think i've shared before on here that dr lipscomb has been um you know supervising me on my hours towards licensure um even though it wasn't something originally i wanted to do but i, I know how important it is for people of color and i where i work um you know, we had someone come in um, who I think Department of uh, Mental Health, DMH, is very much uh, an example of colonization or coloniality, um, where we look at mental health services as through one lens, um, very much uh, a white lens. And sometimes, you know, I was having this conversation with someone who's Caucasian at the clinic and when I was talking about some previous um, cases or patients that I'd seen, uh, they were very much like, well, what's the diagnosis? What's the diagnosis? And it was just kind of like, well, relax. Like I, you know, they're a person. I've, 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 it's way more to it than just like being like, they're bipolar. I'm like, what do we get to? Like, just by saying that and I was talking to Alan about it and, you know, he was very much like, 
you know, yeah, well, yeah, I guess we, we kind of diagnosed that, but, you know, we, there was so much more behind it. And I felt like, you know, the, the patient happened to be white, but I'm like, they do that to people of color. And I think that that's been an effect that's been on us. It's just like, well, diagnose. I'm like, that's not how we really look at it as people of color. I mean, like, there's just so much more to it. And um, I think we've done a lot of harm and, and, and I think appreciate a lot of the stuff that Alan's done in looking at black male grief because it's looking at it very differently. Um, it, there's a grief that causes a lot of this stuff. It's not necessarily a, a mental illness that needs to be diagnosed uh, in that very kind of colonial way, I guess. Is that how you would say it? D definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, the, the diagnosis... Okay, so back, let, let, let's say when, when, um, when uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what year this is, I want to say it was um, um, eight, some, it, it, maybe the mid 1800s. Um, they, they, they created a diagnosis called drapetomania. Have you heard of that? Drapetomania is, no. uh, you familiar with that one? I'm not, no. The drapetomania was a, a, a diagnosis, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up here as as I uh, as I'm talking about this, just to make sure I get the uh, the right person who created this, uh, Samuel Carwright, Dr. Samuel Carwright, 1851. Um, essentially, defined drapetomania as the disease of the mind of enslaved people uh, that makes them want to run away off uh, from, from slavery. And so um, there was a lot of cures for this because, you know, there was Sam, Dr. Cartwright here was so, you know, like, like perplexed. Why would um, these enslaved people want to run away um, from, from the plantation, you know, from what, you know, and, and um, just a, 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 an, an incredible, I think, an incredible way to, of colonization um, that you, that, that someone who is seeking their freedom and will do anything they can to get their freedom, um, and then, you know, imagine what that situation is like, obviously, um, then to, to have that experience turn back on you and say, well, no, actually you have a mental illness. It's called drapetomania. Yeah. And this is, this is not like, uh, this week it was like a real mental illness. Um, but even then, like the way that they collected diagnosis, you know, back during those times, um, I think, I forget, I, I want to say it was, it was, um, uh, U.S., um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it now, but, but essentially it was like a, just a, it was like a, a police, a police force, essentially kind of like a police force that was going around collecting um, mental health or mental diagnosis of people back, back in those, in those times. And it was like a, a census counting type of thing. And what they found again and again was that people of color in some areas where it was mostly black, you know, black people living, um, were they were all considered insane or they were all considered you know, um, whatever they, you know, idiotic, or, and these are the words that they used back then. Um, you know, so, so diagnosis has a, has a really um, violent history in our, in our country. Yeah. Um, and not to say that diagnosis doesn't have its place in our okay. world today, and that, the, that mental illness is, is not a real thing. Um, but, but also to say that, like, without any kind of critical examination of the text that we use, the DSM that we use, um, you know, I think is is it's a real problem. Just just as an example, when when you hear people talk about the DSM, one of the first things you'll hear people say is, uh, "Ask the Bible of of mental health." Yeah. Not the not the Quran of mental health. The Bible. It's, it's the Bible because 
the norm is the, that's that's the norm in our country. It's Christianity. That that's not even that's not even discussed. We just say yes, yeah, it's, it's the Bible. But, but but to have like an awareness that like why would you compare it to the Bible? Is it sacred? If you give it that kind of legitimacy and it becomes that sacred, then how do you challenge anything within it? Right. Then it, then it, then it really becomes like all about faith. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not like a scientific document necessarily. Um, which which that, that's a whole other critique of it. But but what I would say is that we we spend a lot of we invest a lot of money and time into that kind of thinking and that kind of um, categorization um, of people. And like I said, there I think there's a place for some of that, but it also comes with some severe consequences. And I think right. um, you know going back to Alan's earlier question about how do you heal, I think that's another component of it is a restructuring and a reimagining of our mental health system. And there's a lot of people that have been trying out different um, projects globally um, to think about mental health um, and wellness. And some of it, lot, oftentimes it doesn't have to do with talking as much as it has to do with dancing or singing or uh, learning to understand your connection to earth. Sometimes it's about gardening, sometimes it's about physical work. Sometimes it's mostly it's about community. Oftentimes it's about people getting together in a community and being together with one another. Um, that's again, not. I, I always feel like I have to say this because, you know, uh, that I'm not. I'm also not saying that there's not a place for individual work uh, to be done or family work or couples work to be done. I think there's places for all of these, but, um, but I, but I do think there's there's a, a a a very much needed conversation to to uh, restructure and reimagine our mental health services. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I sometimes when I'm like, well. Yeah, I wish we could like restructure how DMH works. I get like the side eye, but I'm glad to hear you you say that because I feel like it's really unfair to sometimes have to go by their um, curriculum in regards to getting payment to helping certain people because we're just kind of in this structure. It seems like sometimes could be what's supposed to help certain people might also be doing further harm, um, given that it wasn't necessarily a system or create it for us, uh, it's, you know, very much a uh, Freudian, um, which were, they were looking at all white people for the most part. Um, and so, you know, we've been left out of that kind of process. And then we just, at the end result. Well, and just to, just to kind of add to that too, that, that, that left out in a lot of ways. Um, like, for instance, something I learned um, over the last few years and, uh, wrote a little bit about this in my dissertation was the fact that like Freud based some of his ideas, Freud and Durkheim, Durkheim and, um, you know, they, they based their ideas off these, these um, anthropologists or, uh, you know, scholars in Australia who are studying the Ararente people, uh, which were the Aboriginal people there. And uh, they, they observed them, you know, doing like a, a ceremony over 21 days or something like that. And Ball, I think the name is Baldwin and Spencer and they wrote up their findings and their, and their analysis and their interpretation from a, from a white perspective or a Eurocentric perspective. Yeah. Um, and that book became like a bestseller. And, um, you know, Freud and Durkheim and other people really influenced by this, this book. And, and those, those theories were, were incorrect to begin with. So, so the foundation of Freud and, and some of their work you know, in, in addition to the thing where other, you know, Freud had also kind of looked the other way, not kind of, he looked the other way deliberately around childhood sexual abuse um, 
and you know his other ideas on on on, on, uh, on women and what have you. Um, you know, they're not they're not they're not structured scientifically or soundly. You know, uh, so so indigenous people were used there. Um, I mean, I've shared a story about you know um, people talking about Erickson's model, um, and this is not a diss on Erickson, but you know when it's taught, um, often it's not taught that he studied native children, uh, Yurok right. children of north in northern California. But uh, those, it, does, it almost doesn't matter that he learned anything about you know, by studying those those, those children. Um, uh, similar to Abraham Maslow, you know, he studied with the Blackfeet Nation up in up in uh, uh, Canada, uh, and he sort of then took took their ideas and kind of inverted it, their ideas to, to to focus, you know, on self actualization as the top uh, most important thing. Whereas the Blackfeet Nation. Um, were really their most important thing was like community involvement and participation, um, and you know so. But when Maslow's ideas get you know um, put put forward, uh, there's an erasure of all the indigenous people that that, that he learned from, mm-hmm. um, and and also you know kind of viewed as like cutting edge. You know, and I kind of joke about that. I was like, it's not cutting edge to say that you need your basic <laughs> your basic you know food and shelter and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> I mean like you know, when they looked at that back then, I always wondered like what was the what was the conversation? You know, did he? I don't, I'm sure other people were not like, what? What do you mean? You have to have housing first? You have to have food? You're basic? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Put it in a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can hear all these Maslow fans. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, know he, I know he did some really, really important work too. And, and I know Uri Brenner and all these other people did really important work. I'm not trying to, to diss all their, their accomplishments and their work. I'm yeah, just no, saying no. that their narratives and the, the, the leaving out of uh, indigenous people, um, you know, is, is important. Just like um, how many countless black people's um, experiences and bodies were tested on again and again and again. Right. Um, with, you know, uh, and, and I would, I would, you know, read Harriet Washington's book, Metal Gold Apartheid, if, if you were interested in learning more about that, um, because she really breaks it out extremely well. But yeah, if you look at that history, uh, there's, there's so, so people, in other words, what I'm trying to say is that people of color, black people, uh, Latinx people, women, trans people, deaf people, they've, they've always been involved in mental health. And they've always been the, either the test subjects or uh, unwillingly, or um, and I also include animals too, because animals are always tested on um, right. and, and are, are given their, their, their due um, for other things they had to endure. Um, but, but they've always been part of this. But then, but then what happens in a, in a white supremacist view is that those contributions and that suffering gets dis- discarded. And what instead gets, and, and you know, you all probably know this too, when you look at like the publishing things, you know, it's a, who gets published and who, based off whose who's lived experience and who gets put ahead. And so, um, yeah, sorry, now I'm like way off of it. No, you're not. I, I think you had something yeah. you wanted to add, Alan. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think what you're touching on is so important, uh, Jose, because it, 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 it helps folks to understand the depth uh, of what needs to be reconciled. It helps folks understand what needs to be healed. And, you know, I I talked about this in a previous episode. Folks can only heal enough to the extent to which it is still happening. And so there cannot be 100% healing until it is eradicated, until it stops altogether to begin with. And I, I think also 
even I'm just listening to you. Even the fact that you have to say, you know, no diss to Maslow, no diss to blah blah blah, like that shouldn't even have to be said because right. why why can't we invite other perspectives and lens and lived experiences and narratives without apologizing for not speaking this way or not including or honoring, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it just reminds me of decentering and centering. Who are we centering? Who are we decentering? And uh, I, I think also that's what I experience around uh, the work that I do, the research and the clinical work with black men and, and grief and, and loss and trauma is that I don't need to defend and talk about other men and how they're experiencing it or not experiencing it. The fact is that I get to, right, to center black men, black men and how they're grieving and what this looks like. I think the other piece that, that comes up for me regarding what you brought up, Jared, regarding the, the system and DMH, et cetera, so the moment I left from out of DMH contract, because I was working with DMH contracted agency and went independent, my own practice, et cetera, is when I truly was able to hear, understand, and honor the experiences and recognize the experiences and also do it in a way that allows for integrated healing mm-hmm. um, in a holistic way to honor that um, without rushing. Right, because yeah. you know you you get trained to like, okay, this is what the problem is. Like you were touching on, this is what the diagnosis is. Now fix. Now da 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 da. But really allowing folks the space to unpack those individual traumas that has been they've experienced, but also been passed down to them through generations because of what like what Jose was talking about too. And for the first time, what I find in clinical spaces with men, specifically black men is that there is a freeing, if you will. Yeah. A a lifting, if you will, of all of their experiences, going back to what Jose brought up too, that was never named, that was never honored, validated, questioned, hijacked, et cetera. And I think that allows for some level of healing through that process and and recognition too. So I, I think as folks are listening to this, if, if you're thinking about, okay, so then what? So, so what do I do? I think it's important, and, and it's, an, it's important for you to think of ways to reimagine, like Jose was talking about towards the beginning, of honoring people and, and all of who they are and what they bring and recognizing the long history so as to disrupt, dismantle those systems, et cetera, that continue to oppress and, and relegate folks to, to the margins is, is what I connected with. Mm-hmm. Now that makes sense, uh, even yeah. in, in working with you, just like had allowing week after week, just talking about these individuals as an experience and not needing to like rush to figure out what's going on. It's not always about that. It's just really listening and, and yeah. truly applying all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Re- really holding space with folks and, and honoring what they are telling you and what, what they are sharing with you um, becomes important. And also giving that, that back to them when they share that, right? When they share how they've been coping, when they share how they've been navigating and just the things that are helpful, the things that, that allow them to cope and live day in and day out. That's what I also want to honor and give back, right? I, I don't want to uh, uh, treat that, 
Yeah. Right? I don't want to pathologize that because it, it shouldn't be and, and it's working, even if it doesn't make sense to me. You know, one of the things I talked about before, um, I don't think I, I shared it in, in the episodes, uh, is that I've moved away from in my clinical work saying, help me understand, using that phrase, help me understand. Mm. I don't get it. You know, I need to understand. Because going back to, to something Jose was talking about, just the mere fact that I need to understand in order to honor what you're saying is a setup, right? Yeah. It reinforces this dominant narrative that I am all knowing because I'm the one who's, sit, who's sitting right here in front of you. I'm the one who has the credentials, da, da, da. So I need to understand you and you need to make it very clear for me. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and it just comes out so naturally when we're not aware of it. Like I don't understand. Well, help me understand. But the the, the truth of the matter is, I may never understand. Yeah. And, and and the goal is not for me to understand, but rather to honor you and what you shared with me, and believe that as your truth, regardless of my own experience. And I can still support you in your understanding because that's your truth, right? And that's your lens. So those are some things in, in thinking about how I show up and what I say and don't say in direct uh, clinical spaces when working with folks. That, that, I, I so appreciate that. And I think that's, I, I really like how you said it, but also, you know, like just, just to, you know, we, we were, you know, we know each other for a lot, lot many years and, and just to, I, I, I've heard, I can totally hear you say, help me understand. I remember, I, I remember hearing you say that and to, and to hear you now talk about, this, this really critical reflection and, and shifting that language and noticing this uh, and then connecting it back to power. It's just such a, I just really appreciate that. That, that is, um, yeah. that, that's really deep. And it shows too, again, like just how thoughtful and nuanced we have to think about this work. That, that even these, what we would consider like very um, innocuous comments, like, well, help me understand. I'm just trying to understand. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's such a great point. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Just, and, 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 yeah, it's so it's so powerful. And what it does is it puts the other in a position to have to defend, to have to justify, to have to rationalize. And I recognize what it's about for me. Yeah. I want to get it, right? Yeah. I want it to click for me. But giving up that power and unlearning that I need to understand everything is a fallacy. Yeah. Right? In I, order I, to move I forward, right? In order to move forward. I don't, I don't need to understand. I don't need yeah. to know. The fact the, the truth of the matter is what you brought up is all I need to know. That's all you gave me to know. And so I can continue on this path with you with whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. yeah. And also it honors where that person's at in their journey because they may not be able to actually give it to you Articulate any, it. any better than they just gave it to you. Correct. You know, and so, yeah, so, yeah. So, so now we're just going back and forth. Like, but I don't yeah. get it, but I don't understand. But tell me, but can you repeat how that happened? Why did it go from there? You know, now we're doing, it's a setup, right? Yeah, it's a setup. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's reconstituting and just protecting that, that same hierarchical, hierarchical yes. system that you're, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Yes. And, and this goes back to the part where you said, um, you know, what can you do? And that's you. That's it. That's it right there. I, I think that's one of the questions I kind of struggle with sometimes. Like, well, what can you do? You know, like after you laid out like a, a long presentation, and you're like, I just I thought I did it. <laughs> I thought I gave a bunch of ideas, but it, I understand it could be confusing too. But but what you can do is just do what you just talked about. Yeah. You know, what you can do is just have these conversations. You know, talk about these questions in your places that you're working in, you know, what does it mean to have a conversation at your next outpatient meeting or yep. your next faculty meeting to acknowledge the land that you're on and to talk about 
uh, meaningfully talk about um, uh, reparation and, and with, with honesty and sincerity and like coming to the table and be like, I don't understand this. I know I don't maybe, I need to understand you do more work, but we need to have a conversation on this. Um, yeah. And this is what, again, what people have been saying for generations and generations. And uh, I, you know, I also want to just comment something too. I, I, um, you know, thinking about like you know, this thing with Maslow and what have you, it, it, that's, that's a good point. I appreciate that. And I, you're right, we don't have to defend. But also, I, I've noticed about myself, I don't want to come across either as like too binary, just like I'm going to dismiss everything that Erickson did or everything that Jane Addams did, even though she did this. I, because I, I think, and this is where I've been struggling with and I'm still trying to figure out is this component of um, totalizing people. Right. categorizing people into one thing and so now that I know this about you know um, uh, Jane Adams and what she said about lynching and what she told her friend Ida B. Wells about lynching you know and, and, and talk about white fragility early early white fragility and you know basically the, kind of trying to minimize the violence there um, the white southerners were you know uh, perpetrating on, on black people um, that doesn't mean that you know, she was a, she was a totally like this bad person that we just need to dismiss or get rid of. Um, she she's she's a complicated figure. Uh, so who needs to be held accountable for for that that one that that part? Just like all the other things. And I, I feel like that's kind of where I'm at in trying to live in this in this world of that uh, wants me to be binary and it wants me to be either or. And um, I, I don't think that that it's it's. it's it's never, it's never that easy. So, so I think that's the kind of reason why I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they're all bad people. I'm not trying to be totalizing in, yes. in my analysis of them, uh, who, who they are, because they did, they did important things. But, I, but on the same end, uh, like you said, yeah. we can descend them from being like a, you know, um, yeah, always at the top. Yeah, always at the top. Yeah. Um, no, and, and the other thing too, and I know we're about to close out in a minute. The, the other thing is, as soon, what, when my mentor said to me some years back, multiple truths can exist about a person. Yeah. That shifted everything for me. And so recognizing, like you were talking about with Jane Adams, et cetera, et cetera, multiple truths can exist about a person and multiple truths can exist about a situation, right? Mm -hmm. And so that allowed me to free up this whole idea that I needed to side with something you know yeah. especially when folks were like well you know and this is a whole other topic so i'm gonna <laughs> bring it in there and i'm gonna take it right back out because i know it's gonna go on for another hour <laughs> especially when you know things like michael jackson and sexual abuse and r kelly and you know all that stuff is happening and you know it's like well but his music but this but that and there's the well multiple truths can exist about exactly. a person right you 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 could be a good artist but still be screwing over people's lives and, mm -hmm. and doing some some hella damage, and yeah. so recognizing that uh, as, as well in the process. Yeah. And I, and you know what? Honestly, I was thinking the exact same thing, Alan. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go too deep because, like, yeah, we're about to wrap up. But it's just like, yeah, you know, in people of color, we've we've always had to carry that burden of being like, okay, well, yeah, in one hand, like you know, the founding fathers did give us this country and we've got a lot of things to figure out. But at the same time, like, yeah, they did some really bad stuff to us. Um, and, you know, they yeah. had, but, you know, they're bad, you know, maybe bad example. But, um, you know, I think about a lot of uh, people of color that we try and demonize for like the, the Kobe Bryant thing. Um, yeah. What was happening and um, long story, but, you know, with the M3 and 
um, you know, it's like, well, you know, he did a lot of good, but yeah, there were some, some bad pieces in there and there's, a, you know, we can't just completely demonize someone, but it seems like yeah. white people get to do that to black people and people of color all the time. Cause look at our prisons, prison system. It's just like, he's bad, lock him up. And we just completely forget about those other sides and pieces of those individuals whose lives have now been yeah. you know, destroyed. But that is definitely and, another and, topic. And, <laughs> I, and I think, sorry, real quick. <laughs> and I think too, we, you brought up being black folks and stuff like that. We, we've excused a lot of stuff. We've had oh, yeah. to excuse a lot of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I try to do going back to the healing part or healing enough is in clinical spaces is we don't have to in this space. Like we don't have to excuse stuff that has been done to you, that has been done to your family, community, et cetera. Like we get to and you get to go there and talk about it and explore that and be upset and curse, whatever you need to do. Because if no other place in space where you can uh, uh, dump and not feel like you need to excuse certain behaviors and things that were done to you, we're going to do it here. Right. We're going to start that. Well, um, yeah, definitely another topic. Um, thank you, Jose. Yes, so, thank so you, Jose. for yes, being here today. Honored. Uh, great topic. Uh, thank you. Congratulations again on uh, finishing yes. up uh, your doctorate. Um, and um, yeah, we'll yeah, definitely have you on again. No, thank you all for, yes. for inviting me here and uh, starting this conversation. I, I, I want to point out that even though we're talking about a lot of violence and um, horrific things, you know, at the same time, I'm leaving this conversation feeling kind of energized. And and, um, and I think that's that's another part, too, of, of, of this work is that, um, you know, like the, 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 there was laughter in this conversation. Yeah. Uh, that there was smiling going on that you that people won't be able to see, <laughs> but, but that there yes. was that there was that too, and and that's important because it that that's also part of the antidote um, to 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 all of these things, the patriarchy, the white supremacy, and the capitalism. It's it's the ability to, to 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 tell a joke and to laugh and to keep it moving and, and to keep doing these things. So um, I really appreciate the space that you all are are creating and uh, cultivating and developing. And um, yeah, and and thank you. It's an honor to. And if you need any any kind of um, citations or references, uh, please feel free to email me, or I can send them to you um, because I have those too. Um, you know, so yeah. But thank you all. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we'll put your thank information you. up on uh, the the website. And um, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening in. Thank you for listening to Chill Spot Radio. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on our webpage at chillspotradio.com.